You're listening to the Holistic Nootropics Podcast, your home for holistic, evidence-based cognitive enhancement strategies. And now your host, Eric Levi. Hey, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Holistic Nootropics Podcast, where we discuss using nootropics, biohacking, and nutrition to help you boost your cognition. My name's Eric. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner. And just a couple heads up before we get into the podcast, if you are new to the Holistic Nootropics Podcast and you're watching this on YouTube, then take a second and please consider subscribing. If you enjoy the video you're watching today, then remember to give it a big thumbs up. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, leave those down in the comments below and I do my best to respond to everybody as the video goes on. Now, if you are listening to this audio version in your favorite podcast player, then remember to subscribe and head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave the podcast a five-star review. Now, one more thing before we get started. If you are new to nootropics or supplementation and you are looking for the best quality products on the market, then head on over to holisticnootropics.com and download a copy of my free supplement buying guide. This is a fully comprehensive guide that will walk you through ingredient by ingredient on how to find the best quality supplements, nootropics, and overall health and wellness products on the market today. Because let's face it, there is a lot of junk on the market. Most of it doesn't work. And that's because it's filled with all kinds of garbage that companies use to cut corners to save money and sell you baloney. So go on over to holisticnootropics.com, download the free supplement buying guide and never buy another rotten product again. Now, our guest today is Tim Gray. Tim, also known as the UK's leading biohacker, is the founder of the Health Optimization Summit. He's a psychology specialist, serial entrepreneur, and successful businessman who has founded and invested in multiple seven-figure businesses, including several digital marketing agencies and London's first private hyperbaric oxygen clinic, which is pretty cool. I'd love to talk about that. Tim is also known... um, I'm sorry, Tim is, uh, again, the founder of the Health Optimization Summit, which is Europe's largest health conference and is one of the largest around the world. He's dedicated to health optimizing. He's a biohacker, and he just does all kinds of great things for people in the biohacking community. So, Tim, welcome to the Holistic Nootropics podcast. Thanks for having me. Wow, that was a bit of an intro. <laughs> was it was it too much? Did I fluff you up too much? I'm sorry about I'm, that. I'm blushing, I'm blushing. I'm blushing. <laughs> I try to keep people on their feet. You know, I don't want to make people feel too welcome. So, uh, but I'm excited to talk to you today because as I go around the biohacking community, your name constantly pops up as a mover and a shaker in this field. I find the biohacking community so interesting and I know you have your own superhero origin story. So before we get into all the things that you're doing in the biohacking space, let's talk about that origin story. How did you find your way into the biohacking space and, and what has brought you to really pursuing this optimal level of health and wellness? Is the, my way in was very similar to a lot of people, I think, uh, in the alternative health space specifically, and that is through sickness, um, where the traditional methods had failed them, I think. So for me, um, about 10 years ago, maybe a little bit more now, I just got ill and the doctors kept on giving me drugs and couldn't tell me what was wrong. And it was just kind of like... Mm, boring and it was like taking me some solutions and they just didn't know what was going on so um i won't bore you with the the full details but essentially i got bored and went home and started googling and trying different supplements and looking at holistic approaches and this and that and the other it turned out that i had uh, mercury poisoning uh, because i have uh, an, one of the SNPs for mthfr gene um which meant that i don't detoxify properly and as a result, built up mercury poisoning from seven metal fillings I had in my mouth and being addicted to sushi. So mercury um, at certain levels does many things to you. Um, it can cause neurological issues, immune issues, um, kills certain gut bacteria as well. So I started getting more and more deficiencies. So um, I really studied and tested loads of stuff on myself for many years before hearing about biohacking. Um, after about five years, something like that, I heard about bulletproof coffee, loved it, made my brain come alive, heard about biohacking and associated myself with the label just because I felt like it was very similar mindset to me. So really I got into it, the usual hero's journey, I guess, <laughs> um, getting ill, figuring out a load of cool things. And then, um, 
kind of enjoying enjoying optimal health further and further by testing new technologies. That's amazing. And I, I do love the origin story aspect of everybody I bring on here because everybody does seem to have that aspect or that experience with me search, some mm. catastrophic event in their life or, you know, what we feel to be catastrophic, you know, granted, most people walk around with mercury fillings in their mouth and have all kinds of mercury poisoning from excessive fish and all, but they never tie it to that. It's always something else. And they always get the medication and they just get sicker and sicker and they just keep going back for more. And it's funny that you describe this inner kind of intervention as boring. <laughs> like it was making you sicker or it wasn't helping, but it just, it just didn't give you enough of a zest that you really were looking for when you go to the doctor, which is, I think what biohacking brings to people. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I just, yeah, was, I find I've always been an optimizer. In my previous companies, whether it's been a startup or whatever, I've always wanted to optimize things, whether it's websites, marketing, whatever. Um, and to be told the same thing over and over and over again, uh, you know, to quite Einstein is the definition definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over again, expect different results. Well, I just felt like they were doing it. So it was boring. It's like, you know, if you're, if you have children and he burns himself, your kid burns himself and keeps on burning himself and you keep on saying, stop doing that because it hurts. <laughs> you know, if they keep on doing it, you'll be like, what is wrong with this kid? Um, you know, well, going to the doctors, it's just a, the same pattern with something different. <laughs> it's like saying, I'm sorry, we don't know anything that's wrong. Just take another medicine. It's just like, it's boring. It's like, what's wrong with this doctor? So really, it's just, it's just that. And I think being a problem solver is really um, core to who I am. But the other thing is, is that a lot of biohackers seem to be problem finders as well as problem solvers and, you know, keep on finding more and more things to fix, <laughs> which gives them purpose. Um, and it's difficult to let go of these things sometimes. And the mercury one is so interesting because again, so many people have these mercury fillings. So many people have some sort of mercury poisoning, but yet we just kind of blow it off. Like it's this in, in, insignificant thing. Mm -hmm. And when you do dive into the data, I've had a few other people on here talking about mercury, um, you know, and, and it just makes me think like, you know, back in the day, they used to call people mad hatters and it was yeah. because they'd wear these top hats that were that gave them mercury poisoning. I don't, I don't remember exactly how that happened, but, uh, you know, people legitimately have both physiological and emotional issues that stems from this kind of mercury. Yeah. Yeah. So the term mad as a hat came from actually the, the hat makers and they would use mercury in the lining in the top of the hat. Right. So drive them crazy. Um, but actually, I mean, if you look into the suicide rates within dentists, specifically traditional dentists, you'll see that the rate is quite high. Uh, and I think bipolar disease is linked to mercury. Um, all sorts of different deficiencies are linked to mercury. One of the things that mercury actually does do is messes with your lithium um, metabolism. And uh, you look at most people that are mercury poisoned or toxic, they have very, very, very low lithium. Oh, the funny thing is, is when you are bipolar, what do they give you? Very, very high dose of lithium. So, I mean, it, you know, and my, my, I have a history of bipolar in my family, actually. So it was a personal interest to me to dig deeper um, when I started noticing these patterns and things that overlap. But I mean, it's funny because to relate it just to nootropics for a moment, which just keeps on popping into my mind is that, you know, the amount of people that message me on Instagram and say, Tim, I've got a gut problem. What pill should I take? Or, mm -hmm. you know, I've got brain pop fog. What nootropic should I take? Or, you know, or I'm a high performer. What drug should I take to help me focus better? And the funny thing is, is the amount of times when someone's actually got a metal filling in their mouth um, and they have brain fog, is is pretty significant actually and it's like well i just want to supplement well get the metal out of your mouth first um because if there's something you do for your brain fog and um cognitive abilities it's get mercury out because depending on your genetics you may or may not be processing it very well um, which will cause all sorts of neurological issues and um brain fog being one of uh, one of the key things for it in my opinion so you know i think I was lucky enough for in the position to be running companies and um, have people that work for me 
And, you know, when they had asked me something taxing and my brain wasn't working right, I would just say, what, what do you think the best solution is? And they would answer for me. Um, <laughs> but that kind oh, of that's running, what people mean when they say that? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Um, or, you know, my brain had wandered and I hadn't listened for five minutes and they asked me a question. I said, what do you think, Tim? I was like, mm, what do you think? So, you know, that ran its course and I couldn't do that for much longer. So I tried nootropics and, you know, all these different things. And linking mercury poisoning to my health issues was very, very lucky um, just because I had thrush around the filling in my mouth. And I Googled thrush and fillings and it came up with candida and mercury poisoning and the link between those things, which really got me down that rabbit hole. So I was very, very lucky to figure that out early on. I don't think a lot of people actually link those things together. That's a perfect analogy too, for like you mentioned the gut thing and then the, the mercury teeth is it, it's so it's so timely for this conversation because people do want to know, you know, I'm in these groups. I run these nootropics groups. You know, I talk to people about nootropics all the time. And it's always the same question. Like you said, what nootropic do I take for this? You know, what nootropic do I take for my ADHD? What should I take for bipolar? What should I take for depression? And the fact is, is like, well, there's a whole suite of things you can take, but have you cut off where the problem is coming from? You know, like if you break your arm and put it in a cast, are you going to then take a hammer and start breaking your arm every single day again and wonder, well, should I get more cast on that arm? You're probably <laughs> going to have to figure out what he's breaking your arm to stop that. And then, you know, go with the healing thing. hundred mm percent. -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Great analogy. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and it's so funny too, because you mentioned lithium and I had another uh, doctor on here a couple months ago, Dr. James Greenblatt, who's uh, very well respected in the field of ADHD and uh, one of the things that he recommends or he prescribes to his patients is uh, lithium, lithium orotate. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's like low dose lithium because um, he finds that and magnesium are the two most uh, are the two most common things. And seeing that there's a mercury aspect to this as well actually makes a lot of sense for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah lithium orotate actually. It's actually um, John Gray that wrote the book Men Are From Mars, Women From Venus. It was, uh, it was a speaker at the summit in London, uh, 2019. Um, I'd say he's a friend, part of the family, really. But he talks about lithium orotate and uh, 10 milligrams a day. Every day is very, very good for men and their hormones and whatnot, and also for mood stability as well. Uh, so I've always been a big fan of it before I even realized. And then when I started getting uh, cellular tests done to see what my deficiencies were or hair mineral analysis tests, I was always deficient in lithium. And it's funny because over a period of time of building it back up and not being deficient, my moods have become much more stable and, um, so I'm not so emotionally charged <laughs> as I used to be. So it really does. I, f I really feel it does. And I can track this over a period of time, looking at the tests and see how it's improved over a period of time. Um, so with the, cause I noticed that you, you talk a lot about dental health, uh, and oral health, which is funny to me. Cause I just started thinking about this, like in the last month, you know, cause I've st I'm starting to see that topic pop up within the biohacker circle. So, you know, along with taking care of your mercury fillings, have you found any other like oral or dental biohacks that you have noticed that make a profound difference yeah. in your health? Yeah, there's loads. I mean, a um, good friend of mine, Dr. Dominic Nitschwitz, uh, Dr. Dome One on Instagram, um, he was introduced to me a few years ago. We've become really good friends. Um, and um, he's the world's leading biological dentist. So the, the, the gold standard of dentistry is biological dentistry. Now, a lot of people claim to actually be a biological dentist, but often they just pull out metal fillings and don't even do it particularly well. Traditional dentists still don't believe in biological dentistry yet because they weren't trained on it, um, but really it's the cutting edge. And um, <clears throat> Dom's book is called uh, It's All in Your Mouth. It's actually a very, very good uh, kind of expose. Um, and goes into extreme detail. It's basically biohacking for the mouth. But the one thing that rang true to me when I first met him was um, all health starts in the mouth. So for instance, people that have got brain fog or um, and have bloating have got digestive, potentially digestive issue. And um, if they've got digestive issue and say, for instance, they've, they've had antibiotics, they might have candida or something going on in the gut. And then, so they try and fix their gut with taking the right gut cleanses or doing this stuff. But the thing is we have actually 10 times the bacteria in our mouth than we do in the back passage. 
And if they've got metal fillings, for instance, in their mouth, or they've got um, um, not a very good um, diversity of oral microbiome, but they're working on their gut, their mouth is always going to be topping up their gut with the bad bacteria, and it's never going to be balanced. So really optimizing your oral microbiome is of paramount importance, especially if you're going to be working on your gut or if you've got gut issues going on. So like IBS, IBD, whatever, whatever. Um, so um, one of the things that Dom talks about a lot, and actually I do most days, is oil pulling. So coconut oil, teaspoon, 20 minutes in your mouth, in between your teeth, like so it um, goes between the gaps, um, really does help balance the oral microbiome. Um, it means if you've got a furry tongue or anything like that, it helps kill off the bacteria just because coconut oil is so, uh, so rich in uh, natural antifungals and antibacterial. Um, so that's one thing you can do. If you dare, then you can put a drop of oregano oil or something, but you have to make sure you spit it because it's quite powerful stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, so really that's the the most basic thing the the other things you can do is if you have got any metal fillings obviously get those gone that is like a big win it might not be an immediate win like the next day but over the period of time you'll notice that you do improve uh, cognitively and immune wise um if you've got any root canal treated teeth you know, is a dead organ that's been filled. Um, even though traditional dentists say having root canal treated teeth are safe um, from all of the work that I've seen and all of the resources and evidence points towards that they're not regardless and you should get them out and have a ceramic implant, not metal. Um, also, if you've had teeth taken out or had your wisdom teeth taken out or have impacted with wisdom teeth, you can have what you call a cavitation in the bone, which is an area of necrosis bone uh, that would need cleaning out. Uh, and a lot of people find that after they fix their oral health, um, then things like gut issues or brain fog and whatnot all reverse and a lot of autoimmune diseases, some autoimmune diseases do as well. So it's a really big win by optimizing the mouth. And yet most people, you know, if they break a tooth, they get it fixed. If they have pain, they get it taken out or have a root canal treated tooth and they brush their teeth once or twice a day. That's where most people stop. So, you know, it's a really big area of, really big area of optimization. I recommend reading the book. It's all in your mouth by Dom Nitritz. That's an interesting, uh, that's an interesting topic. And I'm definitely going to check out that book again, because I keep seeing this topic pop up. And every time I hear this, I think of, I go back to thinking of Weston Price, you know, because Weston A. Price was a dentist and, you know, he's really the founding father of this kind of whole ancestral, um, dietary movement. And, you know, people who don't want to believe in the things that he says, he goes, Oh, he was just a dentist. What does he know about health? And basically what he was doing is going around the world and he was examining, examining people's mouths and their oral health and was mm -hmm. directly connecting, you know, their jaw size and their tooth structure to their, to, uh, to their health. And we're talking like, you know, ancient cultures that, you know, had just become inundated by Western foods. And it's just so interesting that it was a dentist that made us aware of the importance of ancestral living and ancestral health. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, I think traditional dentists fix pain and fix bites. Um, but they also see a lot of patterns, for instance, Western A. Price or biological dentists um, see why do some people have cavities and other people not? Why is, I mean, teeth are bones, basically. So why aren't there people's bones healing properly or why are they weak? And it's often, you know, lack of vitamin D, lack of vitamin K, lack of the minerals, et cetera, et cetera. So when you look at these guys on a cellular level, you'll see that they're actually deficient in these things. Um, which then, so looking at the mouth tells you what's going on in the rest of the body because it can tell you there's deficiencies. So, you know, often some of the best inventions are thought about by people that aren't in the industry that their findings come from. And that is because they look at something with a new set of eyes, they see patterns that their bias, someone in the industry's bias wouldn't control them. And then they say, actually, I'm seeing a pattern here. Um, yeah, I've got an example, a good example of um, a friend of mine had been chronically ill for years. Um, this is about 15 years ago. And she was getting weaker and weaker and weaker. It'd take her two hours to get ready in the morning. You know, she went from being a vibrant 20 year old 
25 year old to, you know, being like an 80 year old granny and no one could diagnose her with anything. It was really bad. And then one of her friends that was a vet said, have you been tested for Lyme? And, and um, she said, yes, I have, but it was shown negative. She said, well, let's do a different test, um, not the traditional uh, doctor's ones. And she showed positive for Lyme and being treated for Lyme and she's got her life back. The point is, is a traditional doctor couldn't notice these things in his current bias, whereas a vet from the symptoms noticed it and, you know, now she's got her life back. And that's just one example. So I think the same with Western A. Price. Yeah, it's it's just so true. It's like, you know, people go get these second opinions, third opinion. They just go to the same doctor, but in a different building, essentially. And, you know, you're right. Like if you keep looking at the same blood test over and over again, you're going to come to the same conclusion. And sometimes, you know, sometimes you have to be one of these specialists who you treat symptoms and not blood markers, you know. And uh, I think thyroid health is probably the best example of that, where the numbers are, you know, set in these acceptable range limits. But these acceptable range limits are built off of what is the standard population. And the standard population is very sick. So when you see, uh, you know, a TSA, level or a T4 level or a T3 level that falls in the right into the acceptable range. Well, what you're looking at is a T4, TSH or T3 level that is average amongst very sick people, you know? So sometimes you need like a functional medicine doctor or even like somebody who's not even a medical doctor, but might have a different specialty, maybe a dentist, (laughs) look at that Mm -hmm. and go, actually your thyroid level is not right according to healthy people that I have samples of and know their numbers of. Yeah. And there's a, you raise a very good point. And another point of that is often, for instance, with thyroid exactly is that you may have low in one, you know, within range and high in range on the other. But if you think about it, it could be, okay. So low could be, let's say, uh, high in one could be, let's say we've got a hundred, hundred kilo person. Okay. <laughs> but then their height is two foot, <laughs> you know, or should I say four foot, a hundred kilo, four foot is going to be a very big person. Um, so two foot they, would be a bowling ball. Yeah, exactly. So when you look at a thyroid, you could say, well, actually one's really high and one's really low, but you don't get, you don't get a five foot, hundred kilo person. Um, or a four foot, hundred kilo person. But when you look at the hundred kilo and the five foot on their own, it looks fine. So I think that this is a, a real big issue with looking at people's tests specifically. And I, I really think about thyroid because I've seen it many times where people don't necessarily look at it with the, I don't want to use the word holistic, but I'm going to, the, the higher level view and seeing these patterns. And I think, you know, working with someone like Dom, for instance, he does look at it in a more encompassing viewpoint and say, well, actually, look, here's two things right here, which actually I've run tests past him and he's looked at it with complete fresh eyes as an outside opinion that I've then gone to a doctor and said, hey, what about this? And then they've explored it and and given me some good advice as a result. So it's really, you know, the different eyes really does help. And I think this is where biohackers often uh, look at the data without bias and say, we just want to work on what works, not what we've been told should work because what works for one person might not work for another. And, uh, and I think biohackers are bringing a fresh perspective and making it fashionable to be healthy and optimized using data, which, which is why, you know, tech like the aura ring or Fitbit or Apple watch and all these things are doing so well, just because we're optimizing from data. And I think this is exactly what biohackers bring to the, the health space. You actually just summarized uh, like a biohacker in probably the the best way that I've heard, which is biohackers make health fashionable because that's the problem with health. You know, when you tell, say someone you should eat healthy, everyone thinks like, oh my God, I got to eat a salad. I hate salads, you know, or, oh my God, I got to have a green juice. I hate green juices. Right. But there's so much more to it. And being someone like yourself, who you've been around the world's top biohackers, you've put on health conferences, you've probably listened to at this point, hundreds or thousands of lectures from the smartest minds in the health and wellness field. Um, you know, versus me, I haven't heard all those people. I've heard these people like, you know, in videos and podcasts, I've seen a number of different lectures and stuff like that, but I'm just curious in your opinion, being someone that's on the inside, what do you think makes a good biohacker, a good biohacker? And what do you think is really missing for people who aren't doing it right? I think 
the first thing is not being stuck in biases or in a bias. Mm, I like to think that data is power. Um, or that I heard someone say data is the new oil, um, which is good. Um, using that data to optimize your health is important. Gadgets, supplements, all this stuff is, is not necessary if, if we live like our ancestors. So I think a good biohacker uses the newest technologies that are proven to improve longevity or energy or whatever, and someone that uses the ancestral mindset. Now, I think a lot of the biohackers have this in mind. A lot of people are always relying on one pill opposed to both viewpoints. So, um, and I don't think a good biohacker necessarily spends the most money. <laughs> um, because you know, there is a perception of biohacking that it's for rich kids or expensive. It's actually very cheap. Um, unless you want all the shiny toys and, and fun. And it's, you know, it pays off in dopamine <laughs> if you if you want to try out the newest gadgets. You know, and I, I, like neurofeedback, it works. It really does help you optimize your brain. I agree. That's some, not necessarily a way we could do without spending a lot more time meditating. Um, and red light therapy can be replaced with watching sunset every day to some extent, or blue light therapy or sad lighting can be replaced with watching sunrise every day, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think a good biohacker knows when to drop the bravado, when to not use the technologies or supplements and knows when sitting in the park, in the grass, meditating serves him well, but at the same time, when he can't do that, goes and uses technology when it is available to him. And I think that's really does define um, you know, a, a good biohacker in my opinion. Yeah. I, I, I asked because, you know, again, I'm in this space. I see, you know, I, I follow the, the people that are the movers and the shakers. I've interviewed a number of people who have, you know, either they're amazing functional doctors, naturopaths, DOs that are, you know, providing so much incredible information and really paving the way for, you know, people like us to, to follow the lead and improve our health you know, entrepreneurs who are creating products that, you know, we're buying and we're using and we're seeing results from. Um, but I also see this group of, you know, I call them amateurs and, and that's not to be disparaging too much, but it's just that they want to jump in head first. And, you know, they put together, for instance, like these nootropic stacks that, you know, they're taking like 30 pills a day and they have like, you know, a $10,000 a month nootropic and supplement habit. And they're still asking people like, I mean, literally posting, 30 different supplements they're taking They're you know, they're doing all this stuff. And then they're like, what do you think's missing from my stack? You know? So they're always like looking for the next thing. And sometimes I just feel like, Hey, you have to master the fundamentals first. Like if you don't have a strong gut, you know, if your digestion is whack, how are you going to assimilate the nutrients in the, all these supplements to begin with? And there's so many examples of that, that sometimes I think people do get lost in the weeds of biohacking. I, I nail on the head. Yes, I agree. I mean, I, I talk about it, um, shameless plug, but I built a course because so many people ask me where to start in biohacking or health optimization or what to do in what order, because obviously I share out a piece of content every single day. And, um, but a lot of people don't know what to do in what order. And so I, the course I created was the health optimization digital program and it's 10 days. Now I won't go into the full detail of it, but really, in essence, what it is, is the fundamentals of what you should be doing before you do anything else. And that is, you know, um, how to optimize your sleep um, or, you you know, optimize your day to optimize your night. So circadian, what to do when, um, how to hydrate properly, how to filter your water properly, how to, how much to drink, when to drink it, what minerals to add, um, such as, you know, Celtic salt for the right minerals. Um, and what products to cut out and says buying expensive electrolyte supplements that really aren't as good as salt on its own or Celtic salt, um, how to exercise daily, what stretches to do, uh, how to implement it into your day. So you're not sitting all day, every day, how to optimize your oral health, what to ask the biological dentist when you do go and see one, um, you know, there's, there's a whole oh, how to optimize your diet, not necessarily what foods to eat or what to avoid, but understanding the principles that should guide your food choices based on your specific goals. So really, you know, if you say to a buyer, if, if someone comes to me and says, what supplement should I take? And I say, well, how's your sleep? 
how much water do you drink? How many times a day do you pee? Um, you know, what, how much exercise do you get? How many steps do you do? Do you break up your day? You're a standing desk, you're a sitting desk. Are you grounding and earthing? Are you getting any natural light? Are you seeing sunrise, sunset? You know, all of these things. And most of the time they say no. And I, I say, when was the last time you got your shoes off and stood in the grass? And they went, mm, when I hung the washing out, you know, three weeks ago or whatever. It's like, well, if you're not doing any of those things, all these supplements and all this, all these products you're taking are just not going to be effective. Fixing your body's electrical charge or rebalancing it by grounding for 20 to 40 minutes every day is one of the most important things that you can do to reduce inflammation and help brain um, cognition and all these things. And yet most people aren't doing them. So, you know, I think some of the more natural things are becoming more mainstream in the biohacking space now because people are fed up of just spending money on hundreds of supplements. But at the same time, the human mentality is more is better generally. Mm -hmm. And when like even myself at one point, I was taking 50 or 60 different supplements a day at one point. But the thing is, is when you get into something and you know nothing when you have a snapshot of it, you, feel, you think you know something that everyone else doesn't. And the more you learn, the more dangerous you become. And there's a, there's a name for the effect, and I'm just, I'll, it will come to mind in a moment. But basically, it's when you know enough to be dangerous, but not enough to be super effective. And unfortunately, people think, oh, yeah, there's this turmeric supplement with black pepper, which is good. There's this uh, nootropic, which is great for that. There's this new electrolyte supplement, which is great for this. Next thing you know, you're at 30 supplements. And in fact, if you did one test to look at your exact deficiencies and supplement with those and supported your liver, you'd probably be fine. But you have to go through that process of knowing nothing to get, knowing enough to be dangerous and then to trim it back, which is why I, you know, I take three, probably three supplements a day now. Um, and that changes depending on what I need for that week or month. So, you know, you had the nail on the head. Yeah. And with supplements too, uh, you know, taking enough to be dangerous, but taking more than enough to be not effective or, or, or something to that extent. It's so, it's so apropos, you know, uh, like in a, a good example was, uh, probably about a year, year and a half ago, I was taking, I think maybe like a gram of magnesium a day or something like that, because I just read this book, the magnesium miracle. And it talks all about magnesium and it's like, Hey, magnesium's this magnesium's that all these processes. I'm like, and magnesium's a mineral and it's natural. And it's like, well, like what, what could it do? What bad could it do? Right. So I'm taking all this magnesium and I do a hair mineral test and the hair mineral test comes back super low on magnesium. And I'm like, well, how is that even possible? Um, but then I do an organic acids urine test and I find that I'm very high in oxalates. And I was like, the more I study oxalates, I find, Oh, oxalates actually bind your magnesium and you don't absorb it. Okay. Well, one plus one equals two. Here's why I'm not high in magnesium, despite taking so much more magnesium than I've ever taken in my life. And then, yeah. you know, you start cutting out these oxalate foods, which just so happen to be all the foods they tell you to take whenever you're on one of these crazy diets, vegan, keto, paleo, whatever it is. I mean, they're health foods. And then you start cutting them out. You don't feel worse. In fact, you feel better. And then your natural mineral levels start to rise because you're not taking this anti-nutrient that's essentially stealing the minerals from your body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, succinctly put. Um, I mean, I, I started getting kidney stones ten years ago, and no one knew why, and they just told me to drink more water. They didn't say it's because you're eating high oxalate meals, but there's another layer to that as well. It's because um, you have leaky gut for kidney stones. You have leaky gut um, and high oxalates. Now, the thing is, you can go low oxalate and get the low oxalate dump, but if your liver, you still produce, you can produce endogenous oxalates so it's your liver actually producing oxalates and you can interrupt that by taking mega dose of b6 and things and i'm sure you probably know this if you've gone down this route um but you can cut out your oxalates and go low oxalate and still be producing too many which causes you the issues which obviously means you have mast cell activation which means you're hypersensitive to any supplement you ever take as well so there's a whole a whole host of things but yeah I'm, <laughs> I'm with you completely especially about oxalates as well it's a big <laughs> big area of interest for me it's crazy actually because uh, i've been interviewed two um, oxalate specialists uh, on this podcast, and they're actually my two most popular podcasts. So there's a lot of people who are looking for this information. Yeah. I mean, it, it's oxalates. It's really interesting how oxalates ties into mercury, how it ties into candida. Yeah. Um, and I mentioned autism and gut bacteria and 
um, and all the whole hosts of things. And obviously mineral deficiencies with, with oxalates is crazy, absolutely insane, actually. And when you fix your mercury issues and your endogenous oxalate production and your exogenous uh, oxalate from consuming foods, it's amazing how different the body becomes. Actually, very, very different. So. And what, and all you're talking about here are just things that are probably common to so many people who are dealing with recurring health issues, which is yep. mercury. I got fillings in the mouth. Well, it's not something you, you know, you didn't do anything bad. You just went to the dentist, dentist told you had a cavity and you filled it with uh, a filling and it just happened to be mercury, which is what, you know, most dentists out there do. Um, you're talking about oxalates, which are common in all of these health foods, which if you're someone who's like, well, you know, this is the year I get healthy. What am I going to do? I'm going to eat green salads. I'm going to drink green smoothies. I'm going to eat sweet potatoes and beets and nuts and seeds. Cause that's what everybody says is healthy. Uh, and so these are, and then you just start having these, you know, they're like new health problems that, that pick up, you know, it's like, as soon as you get healthy, you're like, okay, I'm losing weight, but my skin's a disaster. You know, I got, uh, uh, I got fatigue, I got brain fog, but I thought I was doing the right thing. Uh, next thing you know, now you got to start going down the road with even more stuff. Mm, yeah, yeah. And if they're not hydrating right with clean water and without the right minerals, then you're definitely screwed. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, it, it really does. Um, my course addresses a lot of this stuff actually uh, quite succinctly so that people can implement these things. Um, and again, I, I didn't even want to create this course. It's just I got asked so many times every day. And it's just like fed up of sending 15 resource links to places and then people asking for more references and stuff. So it's all just contained quite nicely. Um, yeah, interesting, really interesting. It's, uh, it's, it's unusual for me to meet someone that's actually uh, looked into oxalates so much. Yeah, <laughs> Did you, oh, find out why, did you find out why you had an issue specifically? Oh, I know exactly why, because I was eating an insane amount of oxalates. Uh, mm -hmm. Like I, I live in Puerto Rico. And so we have, you know, well, first of all, I was, I was a vegan for a while. And so, you know, I just went hog on, I mean, spinach, beets, sweet potatoes, you know, I was eating, I mean, yeah. just nut butters from Trader Joe's like all day, every day, uh, making my own nut butter, like all the stuff. Like if there was a list of oxalate, like the heaviest oxalate foods, like the top 20, I was eating them in bulk every single day. Insane. Crazy, crazy. Well, it'd be interesting to see your organic acids test after a while and to see if you're actually producing oxalates. Um, you can always interrupt it if you are producing endogenous and have a look into really high dose B6 supplementation because that can interrupt it. But uh, yeah, super interesting. I'd love to catch up with you that in the future to see how things are going. Yeah, definitely. And you know what else is interesting? I've had um, you know several of these conversations uh, like not specifically about oxalates, but, um, about antibiotics specifically and antibiotics, you know, one, one reason why I think a lot of people, cause some, a lot of people eat these diets and have no problems. And then a lot of people do, and they have problems and it's like, well, what's the difference, you know, epigenetics, bioindividuality, um, antibiotic exposure, because you're supposed to have a bacteria in your gut oxalobacter that is supposed to be able to metabolize these oxalates. And so, you know, there's a set of people like, uh, more indigenous people who haven't taken, um, or maybe people that live in like these more traditional cultures who haven't been exposed to antibiotics yet. They're able to eat leafy greens and all these things with no problems yet here in the West we've taken, I know me, I've taken so many rounds of antibiotics and I feel like I'm still recovering from that from years ago, most likely wiped that out. And now it's like about reseeding with better probiotics. And now I'm a little bit more tolerant, but I think this has a lot to do with why uh, the, the oxalate uh, issue is such a problem. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. I tried to buy oxalate back to Fomenges uh, a few, uh, actually about six, six or seven years ago. I don't know if they've actually brought it out yet, but it's very difficult to get hold of. <laughs> yeah. And you've, you've mentioned the liver a few times. I'm curious, uh, you know, because that's such a complicated, um, that's such a complicated organ, uh, and a complicated topic in terms of health. So I'm, I'm curious, like what your approach to the liver is with, uh, people and yourself. Mm. It's really interesting because Chinese medicine always highlights the liver um, or gallbladder very quickly in a lot of people's uh, health issues. And I mean, I think it's very, it's complicated, but also basic. If you think about it, we're exposed to hundreds and hundreds of times the amount of toxins every single day, more than our ancestors would have done. Our livers were not designed, however you want to, whatever mindset you're in. Um, to be able to cope with this much stuff. 
and um, contaminated air, products with chemicals in it, plastic bottles. You know, even I'm drinking from a plastic bottle now, breaking my rules just because this is so high in magnesium. But, you know, there's chemicals everywhere. Um, and our livers are stressed. Now, when standard uh, traditional doctors do measurements, they check for certain things, but they don't necessarily, they can't necessarily check everything um, because they haven't identified all these different things, processes that liver do. But there is one way of, um, that I find with this is this. So for instance, if someone drinks alcohol the next day, they have body odor. Um, that's because their liver is struggling and um, comes out through their skin. Or if they've got, uh, they, they have floating stools where they don't digest the fats properly, that, you know, the liver's struggling, it's not um, producing enough bile and bile is like dish uh, washing liquid. You put a drop of it in a pan and you'll see the oil disperse across. This is what the liver bile, liver bile does for our oil in our digestive system, which is why a lot of people with IBS actually have a stressed liver, you know, and yet they go and, you know, have their gut bacteria checked and, you know, they're told that they have, they have gut problems because of their microbiome. But in fact, if you have a stressed liver, you don't produce enough bile. If you don't produce enough bile, you don't cleanse or clean out the digestive system properly, and then you start having gut issues, okay? So supporting the liver, and you can do that by taking things like milk thistle or artichoke hearts, um, which can mess up hormones. So for instance, guys that take milk thistle can have high estrogen as a result. Um, but supporting the liver to make sure it produces enough bile, which means not only does it break down the crap in your digestive system, it helps you dissolve your uh, di digest or utilize your oils properly, which helps your hormones as well. And on top of that is if you're stressed um, or dehydrated or dehydrated and stressed, and the more stressed we are, the more salt we need, and the more dehydrated we are, the more salt and water we need, means that we don't produce enough stomach acid. And if we don't produce enough stomach acid, we don't kill bacteria and viruses in our gut, which means our digestive system gets stressed, and which means our liver gets stressed. So really supporting with HCL or having more hydration and supporting the digestive process and supporting the liver, and you can do castor oil packs, um, you can have, you can take ox bile supplements, which helps you sort your digestion over a period of time. And all these things means that you get the nutrients from your food and you kind of like almost like starting bump, starting the car opposed to trying to get it from nothing again. So people that have acid reflux, for instance, that means that they're generally low in stomach acid and it's their body's way of basically a trap door in their gut, let's just say, um, isn't opening up. So therefore they get acid reflux. Well, that's a key sign of saying you haven't got enough stomach acid and you've got something going on in your digestive system. And yet the medical system will give them antacids which actually kills off and makes their digestion even worse over a period of time. And they become even more deficient and stuff. So really, you know, this is the entryway, the main entryway to our body. And if this isn't right, mouth and gut and liver, um, then we're going to be all over the place. So these antibiotics have a massive knock on effect on the liver and the digestive system and nutrient deficiencies and um, things like oxalate issues as well. So, if someone does have digestive issues, especially if they're constipated, which is an amazing, amazing indicator that the liver is struggling and not producing enough bile, it also makes the like your stool slip through you much quicker. Let's put it that way. So if you are constipated, it means that you probably need more bile. So you can buy ox bile supplements in the States. Um, 125 milligrams is advisory to start with. If you do want to test it, 500 might be explosive, depending on how much you've got going on in your gut. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, so <laughs> I could go on forever on this specific topic, but really it starts with the mouth, the liver, the digestion, everything else kind of filters on from there. Yeah. And I, I especially love the gallbladder. You know, uh, the liver, it, it's so important. It's like, I don't know a good analogy for it, but you know, like you said, the liver makes the bile, but then the gallbladder gets it out. 
and the gallbladder removal surgery, it's uh, like one of the top three or maybe even the top like outpatient surgery here in the mm-hmm. States. And people, you, you, you look at that and you go, well, what is going on here? And then obviously you correlate it to, well, I mean, there's billions of dollars of, you know, junk food and soda and fast food that are eaten, um, you know, by Americans, uh, you know, here every single year. And then you have gallbladder removal surgery and then you have antacids too, which are, so you can correlate like the crap diet to these problems. But like, I look at it and go, you know, the stomach acid, obviously that's like number one. I always work when I'm working with people from the top to the bottom. So we got to get your stomach acid back on track for sure. But then the bile situation, it's so crucial too. Cause yeah, it is dishwashing soap. It is like that your stomach's internal cleaner that runs through there and, and kills all the bad bacteria brings your gut into homeostasis. But again, the problem is for a lot of people, they can't even get it out of their gallbladder. So mm-hmm. at that point, you know, you, I've seen people do things like coffee enemas. I've, I, I do coffee enemas or when I can, um, I specifically love, uh, things like taurine and even uh, beet juice is also good. Um, you know, for bile production, I believe in the liver. Mm. Well, it's actually, um, yeah, again, you raise another really interesting point. Um, the gallbladder is really interesting. So when someone says that they have gallbladder stones or uh, blocked and they need to have surgery to have it taken out, it's nearly always apparently because the liver is not producing enough bile and the bile then doesn't go in and flush out the gallbladder on a daily basis. So the gallbladder becomes static and then blocked up. So that is an indicator. So it's just cutting out the gallbladder and it might be emergency admitted. Um, but if it's just building them up, it's like, well, let's support the liver. Let's get the liver producing more bile. And you can use bitters or whatever, you know, various things. And obviously coffee enemas do help. Yeah, definitely. They do speed up bile production. Um, but, you know, we don't have a deficiency of coffee enemas. There's something else going on that should be addressed. So if gallbladder does need to be taken, the liver definitely, definitely needs, um, you know, assistance and taking something like ox bile won't necessarily flush the gallbladder on a daily basis. So you're just bypassing that. But people that have had the gallbladder taken out obviously should be using ox bile pretty much every day for the rest of their lives with every meal. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, it does show how, you know, uh, there's so little known in the traditional system about the liver and supporting it. Um, especially if there's that many surgeries going on in the States that have the gallbladder taken out. It's crazy, man. So with digestion, do you have any, uh, like go to digestive hacks or, or digestive products that you like to take? Yeah. I mean, I, um, I always take a digestive enzyme specifically. I like proteolytic digestive enzymes, which I take on waking and before bed, um, just because they get systemic and obviously go around and break down proteins, free floating proteins that are in the blood proteins sit around viruses and bacteria in our bloodstream. So it helps our immune system fight those things off. Um, also proteolytic enzymes are great for tissue repair. So if you've got scars or wounds and things like that really helps, um, you know, you, um, break down those scars and rebuild properly. Um, also I take digestive enzymes with every meal as well. Um, and ox bile with fatty meals and HCL if I feel like I need it, but I do test these things. Um, in fact, digestive enzymes and ox bile are my non-negotiable supplements actually. Mm. And then I make sure I eat super, super clean. And when you do Uh, digestive enzymes, do you do those like timing wise? Do you do those before, during, after you eat? Yeah, so two on waking, two before bed. Um, I sometimes use bio-optimizers. I mean, they're, you know, bio-optimizers are very good for that. The masszymes? Uh, yeah, masszymes, yeah. Um, and I actually tested up to taking 30 on an empty stomach before bed and uh, on waking every day, and I did that for, for months, uh, for weeks, sorry. Um, and I've actually tested the enzymes in a, pipette, in a pipette jar. When I had surgery, they cut out a vein for me and it had metal inside it long story, but I put digestive enzymes in there and it broke down the vein within two days. So it really does, you know, um, work systemically very well. Um, if you add it with your food, you get more nutrients from your food. And a lot of people find that when they have these digestive enzymes with their food, their brain actually comes back alive, um, because they're actually getting more nutrients, um, supplied to their body. So their brain switches back on. 
Um, and I take um, anywhere between two to six with each meal as well of digestive enzymes. And it's like if you're buying the best quality food, you want the best quality nutrients and you want as many nutrients as you can. And in fact, the founder of BioOptimizers, uh, Wade Lightheart, one of the one of the founders actually, um, he is a plant-based bodybuilder, and you know he he frequently says that you can get 40% more protein from your same diet just by adding in digestive enzymes with it. So, so that's one of the reasons I do. And I'm a hard gainer and I just, I have to eat a shit ton of protein to put on weight and muscle. Um, it's a lot easier when I use digestive enzymes. That's so interesting. And, and do you, uh, do you take those before you eat during, after you eat? During, yeah. During with the meal. Yeah. During. Interesting. Yeah. I've, I've had weight on here before and, uh, by optimizers, they have just so many cool products, especially they've released. It seems like in the last year, uh, that, uh, I really believe that company's doing some just great things and weight is a super, super, uh, smart guy. And I mean, the proof is in the pudding when you're a plant-based bodybuilder, uh, you probably know something about supplementation. Yeah. Yeah. I love weight. He's, uh, he's, he's one of the really good ones. Yeah. Now, uh, I did want to ask you, cause I know, um, I didn't mention this in your bio, but I, I know, uh, you know, just from kind of reading about you online, you are, you pride yourself on a lot of tracking. So I'm curious on like what biomarker, uh, biomarkers, biomarkers you're tracking. And if you have any tips on, uh, you know, some of the top tracking devices out there. Mm. Um, yes and no. So first of all, when you first get into it, you do everything from all angles and then you kind of learn to let go of things to reduce your stress because you can always be hyper alert about tracking too much stuff. So uh, I have been known for tracking 35 plus markers a day. Um, I let go of that about 18 months ago. I continuously track my sleep, obviously with my aura, uh, deep sleep, REM sleep, light sleep, heart rate variability, respiratory rate, body temperature, um, and obviously have a readiness score. So I'm constantly gaming my sleep and readiness every day by testing little things. Uh, for instance, one of my recent tests is to have trimethylglycine before bed, um, 2,500 milligrams, which is a big dose. And um, that actually gets my readiness score to 99 because my heart really? rate comes so much. Yeah. I'm, I come out of, um, sympathetic into parasympathetic. Um, my respiratory rate comes down and it's a big win for me. Um, and that's part of methylation. So it really shows that my body is repairing better. The point is, is I can dial it in. I can really do refinements by focusing on these areas. I do also check every year, at least once a year, my cellular health. So metabolomics test, so to look on a cellular level to see what cellular deficiencies I have that I should be working on. Um, and um, one other device that I really like at the moment, um, which is brilliant for tracking and seeing your progression, is actually the AeroFit um, breathing device. I'm not an affiliate. They are an, uh, an exhibitor at my summit. I begged them to come, actually, because I kept on seeing ads on Instagram for months and months and months and months and um, eventually got one and begged them to come to the summit because I loved it so much. It's not that they pay me, so therefore I talk about it. It's not like that at all. I only talk about the stuff that I truly love and use myself. But the AeroFit, you put it in your mouth, um, and you have an app to go with it and it gives you breathing exercises. So you would hold on the out breath, you know, say 15 seconds, and then you breathe in slowly for five seconds and hold it in. And it gives you a whole load of breath work to do. Um, admittedly it is via the mouth opposed to the nose and I'm a nose breather now, I'm not a mouth breather, but when you're using it for three to five minutes a day, I'm all right with that because you can see your lung strength and capacity improve over a period of time from doing the breathwork exercises. So I really like to optimize for that. And then of course, because I'm using the AeroFit and working on my breathwork, I'm also seeing it in my aura ring, which is completely separate data to show that my respiratory rate through the night is coming down. Now, what's really interesting is, is I've really focused on this in the last year. And I'm in Croatia at the moment, thus in a t-shirt and hat opposed to in my, you know, my um, better outfit in London. But between last year and being in Croatia, which I was here for, uh, for months last year, and then this year, my underwater um, swimming for snorkeling is significantly better, significantly better. I can I almost stay under the water twice as long in the, since the last year I've been doing the breath work with AeroFit. 
Um, and so those are the key things that I'm tracking. If I did more than that, I would drive myself mad. Yeah. I'm always stressed about too much optimization. Yeah. And did you find that was the case when you were doing all that tracking? Yeah. Yeah. I'd be stressed about, you know, how many times I was even marking down how many times I went pee every day, <laughs> uh, how many times I went uh, for a number two. Um, if I woke during the night, how many times, what my urine pH was, what the specific gravity was to see my hydration on the output. Um, you know, it was just like how my energy was on a, sub a subjective score of one to a hundred. And I'd sit down and fill out the spreadsheet and then look at the charts to see what would correlate every day. And it was just like, it was fun, but then it became a task. And then I was like getting stressed because I wasn't relaxed enough, <laughs> you know, it's right. like, Sometimes you need to know when to let go, but at the same time, sometimes you need to know what to measure. And that's why I'm very specific about it. And I think that's biohacking like a pro level opposed to, you know, being hyper alert about everything all the time. And I think the aura score, you can get enough information from that to really put together some solid conclusions about what's going on. You know, like I got COVID a couple of months ago and I mean, I, I, you know, I never really like looked at the aura before it came. I had no idea I even got it. It just hit me like a ton of bricks one day. Um, and it's crazy because I looked at my aura stuff on the day that it hit me. And I mean, my temperature was up, I think like plus seven or something like that. And you know, that thing goes within like, you know, one and negative one, you're fine. But I'd never seen the temperature. I mean, anywhere even close to above 0.1, let alone like 0. Yeah. 0.4, like 4.0, whatever it was. My breathing was way high. My readiness was like a 20. And I normally am anywhere between like 70 and 85 readiness. And so, and then after I, like, after I beat it, like the four days after the fever went away, I still had like these nagging symptoms, but my HRV was just like off the charts. So now I have this kind of built in thing where I know, like, if there's something going with my, um, temperature and I've talked to the other people about this, you can tell if you're getting sick or if you've contracted something, if your immune system is struggling, but then it's interesting because if you're, if my HRV is just like off the charts, then I almost feel like my immune system did something. It fought something off. And so maybe I passed something through me. I don't know. Um, but that's like just applying the non-sleep stuff. You start looking into the sleep stuff. And I mean, you can tell so much about where you are health wise, wellness wise from just your deep sleep, your REM sleep, your heart rate, your heart rate variability. hundred percent, hundred percent. It's like yeah, a lot of people say, I can't get any deep sleep or I can't get any REM sleep. You know, it's like, okay, try this on day one and see what happens. Try this on day two, see what happens and then plot it. And then you actually, I, I had a friend of mine, name not to be mentioned, but it's had like, you know, 1% deep sleep and his, his whole life, he's always had problems with sleeping. So he's like literally fought through life, going into the office, really struggling, you know, every day of his life. And, um, you know, I said, get an aura, let's try it. And it was 1% deep sleep, if anything, like, and, um, so we tried a few different things and in the end for him, he was super, super, super light sensitive, super light sensitive. And if we actually got him with military grade blue blocking glasses on and candlelight after 6 PM, 7 PM, then his deep sleep shot up to over 25%. Uh, average is around 20%, something like that. And for the first time in his life, he is waking up feeling refreshed. And it's like, without the data, without these micro refinements of dialing it in, you can't get huge wins. So, you know, no, I, I think this is where you really can use this stuff. And this is why biohacking is fashionable because it's like, it's literally changing people's lives. But on the, on the closing point on that is that People are saying, oh, the medical system's fine. You know, you're just, you're just making up problems or whatever. The thing is, if it was fine in the first place, then there wouldn't be a need for anything else. And we wouldn't be searching for answers that we're not getting. You know, let's be honest, in emergency care, medical is amazing. Like, let's be honest, like the things that they can do is amazing. The things that they can't do in chronic health isn't. And I think this is where chronic health and preventative and longevity is where the biohacking is, you know, winning. <laughs> and if the medical system was fine, you wouldn't watch a commercial for some medication and 80% of the, of the commercial is side effects of the medication they're advertising in the first place. And many of those side effects are the problem that you're trying to take the pill for in the first place. Yep. So yep. when people, when people say nonsense to me like that, I'm like, all right, man, <laughs> whatever.
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, survival of the fittest, natural selection. If you choose to trust in that, that's fine by me. You go for it. But I'm going to put out the content there to help you open your eyes. And uh, if you choose to accept it, that's great. If you choose not to, that's fine. I mean, this might end horribly for me. Who knows? All <laughs> I know is that I'm, you know, I'm 42 now. And although I'm not, not done my hair or anything today, you know, people seem to think I'm in my mid thirties and I'm, I'm not doing too bad since I was biohacking. You can see my before and after, um, you know, I feel like a completely different person. Um, so, you know, if I have a shorter lifespan, but I've lived a lot faster and, healthier and happier as a result, I'm game. And if someone chooses not to listen to that and say, oh, biohacking is BS, fine by me. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. And let's be real. Health is probably the best addiction that you could possibly have. <laughs> For sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, Tim, this has been a, a really fun convo. I really enjoyed it. Learned a lot. Uh, definitely anybody listening to this or watching this, I'm sure is going to get a lot out of this. And I want to make sure that people keep up with you, make sure they follow you on Instagram and all of your socials, maybe even get your course. Uh, if you're going to send somebody listening to this or watching this somewhere online, where would you send them to find more about you? Tim Biohacker on Instagram. That's all one word? Yeah. Tim Biohacker. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Um, healthoptimization.com is the website with an S, not a Z, because we're British and we're awkward like that. But apart from that, <laughs> Tim Biohack on Instagram, that's where it's at. The S in optimization and a Brit who actually knows things about teeth health. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make sure we get all that linked up in our show notes, Tim. And certainly once this is out, we'll make sure to send it to you and promote it and make sure people follow you on Instagram and your health optimization site. Tim, thanks so much for joining us today. Viewer and watcher, thank you so much for tuning into the Holistic Nootropics podcast. For more on all things biohacking, health, nutrition, and nootropics, head on over to holisticnootropics.com. Until next time, peace. Thanks for listening. For more brain-boosting info, in-depth articles, and show notes, check out holisticnootropics.com.